Kieran Hines is the pained yet po-faced firstborn son in Lolly's Earth Rod, a comedy of errors and terrors by Philip Davison. singing, making whoopee. The nurse tells her she has the voice of an angel. Won't she join in downstairs? It's all very well organized, what with everybody properly spaced out. That was the phrase the nurse used. I laughed, then quickly said I was sorry. Lolly cuts in. I've somewhere else to go. My son here is taking me. The nurse knows we're going nowhere. What with the situation? Whenever you're back, do join us, she says. You don't have to sing, Lolly. Come and listen. But I am going somewhere. A mission of mercy with my waster of a brother, Jake. Early next morning, we're sitting in my car by the canal. We have Rufty in the boot. Our mother's poor, old, decrepit dog. We're waiting for the vets to open. Would I go on a canal boat, my brother wants to know. Where? I ask. Anywhere, he says. You need time and no commitments, I say. You can go on a canal boat, he raps. I'm thinking of doing something else with my life when this trouble is over. Something else, I say. You're not doing anything. Even the virus doesn't recognize you as human. He doesn't answer immediately. I'm not rising to that, he says when he does speak. I ask him what he means by something else. He says he doesn't know yet. That's the beauty of it. You haven't a thought in your head, have you? I say, how lucky is that, he roars. I can go anywhere from there. I warn him he best stick with me. Not a peep out of old Rufty. Perhaps she knows what's coming. I say this to Jake, and he says it's like our mother knowing about her condition. The Alzheimer's. Same difference. He's talked to Rufty, he tells me, squared the whole business. He's told the dog that we're sorry, and the dog has indicated that it is resigned to its fate. Never mind the Alzheimer's. Never mind talking to the dog. Fit him better to think about our mother tottering down Sniper's Alley. What with the virus? Awfully quiet in the back, he says. He wants to know if I think Rufty might be hungry. The dog's in pain, I remind him. He wants an overdose, and that's what we've organized here. We're doing the right thing, no doubt about it. I think I let him stretch his legs while he's waiting. Jake says, he can barely walk, poor bastard, I point out. I'll barely walk him then, my brother wails, a few yards along the canal. A last few sniffs, it's only proper. Ah, look at us, I'm thinking, two 
grown men. We have to carry through. The poor animal is relying on us. Pop the boot, I tell Jake. Pop the boot and give him some air. He has already popped the boot, he tells me. He has opened it a crack. It's a good job our mother doesn't remember she has a dog, I say. I don't want you reminding her. But Jake says telling her about Rufty is our duty. Walk the dog, I bark. He's had a good life. The vets will be open in ten minutes. There's a queue forming. Two meter gaps. First in will be a sausage dog wearing a funnel. Jake is wheezing. He's so nervous. We should call Lolly before we go through with it, he insists. She's not using her phone anymore, I tell him. We could leave a message for her, he argues. The home can call us back. She can talk under supervision. Eight minutes to opening, I announce. If Rufty collapses by the canal, it's your funeral. Who put me in charge, he wants to know. I'm the eldest. I tell him I'm the one who has a clue. When this little job is done, he could go back to his blank canvas. He'll be clear to think about his future. He'll be free to explore. That's what he wants, isn't it? It is. Look at the shaved head on that cat, he says, getting out of the car to take Rufty for his walk. That's when the phone rings. Hello? Yes? What? What do you mean, unaccounted for? No, she's not with me. It's not with my brother. A taxi? Just like that? What did it? Oh, well, that makes everything all right, doesn't it? What? You can lock anything you like. I'm with my brother, and we're coming over there, the both of us. There'll be hell to pay for this. I tell Jake they're locking the door after our mother has bolted. Our lolly has left the home. She walked out and got into a taxi. A taxi to who knows where. A lapse in security. They'll get her back, they say. The runaways always come back unless something happens. They'll take her back, with or without the virus. Jake tells me the dog isn't in the boot. He had popped the boot, remember? Just a crack to let in some air. I go looking for Lolly. Jake goes looking for her broken-down dog. I get another call from the home. She's back. They let me in to see her. They put me sitting on a chair behind a chalk line on the floor. And you are? Lolly asks me. And your son? I tell her I can't find Jake. He's not answering his phone. She doesn't know who Jake is. Your other son, Lolly? What have I done with him? She wants to know. He's out walking the dog somewhere. She suggests I get rid of him. Jake, that is. Better off without him. Count my losses and move on. She didn't run off because of the virus, the impending lockdown or the communal sing-songs. She went to feed her dog. Everyone's gone, she says. There's just her and Rufty. Never mind, Lolly, I tell her. Nothing to worry about. That's the main thing. I've to start again, she says. She does indeed, I tell her. She says she couldn't find the tin opener. 
I assure her that Jake and I will be in tomorrow. She says she won't be here. I say we take our chances. Can she sing? She asks. She thinks she's going to sing. She wants to get her singing in early before the other lot downstairs in the lounge. You go ahead and sing, Lily. Not in front of strangers, she says. Don't mind me. I acknowledge she doesn't like it in the home. It's hard at the moment, but she must give it time. We need to know that she is safe and well. Jake and I will visit more. We'll do more trips, the three of us. The Wexford Festival. We'll take her to the opera. How did I get here? She asks. Do I have a car? She goes from looking over my shoulder to looking under my chair. She calls for Rufty. She tells me Rufty is her earth rod. I know he is, I say. She looks at me with suspicion. She weighs my foot back behind the chalk line with her bony hand. Mister, he bites when I tell him, she warns. That's a good dog to have, I say. Why isn't she answering her phone, I ask. She has difficulties answering my question. She has to fight for the words. Bloody everywhere. Small feckers. Dangerous. Get into you. The virus? No, she finds the word. Imposters. Bloody imposters. Listening in. I tell her we will come up with a code. That way she'll know it's me or Jake. She gets upset. She tells me she won't remember. I tell her I will get her a new phone. Only Jake and I will ring her. She doesn't reply. She doesn't seem to hear. She begins to sing. Then, all right, she says suddenly. What's my name? She wants to know. I tell her. Very well, she says bravely, though she doesn't like me using her son's name. I'll take a chance on you. What about the other fellow? Jake will come on board if I can find him, I tell her. I'm looking for people too, she says. She raises a cautionary finger. If I don't like you, I understand, I say. She asks me to buy her a tin opener. She looks under my chair again, a little concerned. My earth rod, she says. That was Lolly's Earth Rod, a midsummer monody by Philip Davison. Enda, the family ombudsman, was played by Kieran Hines. Aidan Matthews produced.